inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. And we're two siblings who happen to be blind. Outlook. Radio Western. Good morning. Happy Monday. Um, a week and a half, or just over two weeks to go to Christmas. Two, two weeks ago. Two weeks from two, now. Two weeks to go, I said. Oh, two weeks to go. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the show. It's, uh, it's that time of year where I think everyone's a little tired trying to... <laughs> Let's start the show fighting like <laughs> siblings do. Yeah, exactly. it's just been a long year. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm feeling pretty good. I got a lot of rest yesterday. It was one of those weekends I have actually some stuff coming up this week. A friend of mine's back from, from England and we have some uh, jamming to do. We're going to play some music together the next couple of weeks and then Christmas coming along. So lots going on and it was nice to have a quiet weekend. I don't care what you were up to on the weekend. Anything exciting you want to share off the top of the show, but... Uh, I have a Christmas tree up. That's... And I... Oh, I, I, um, I binged Wednesday on Netflix. That's all, that's all I did. Oh, the new, the new show, Wednesday. Yeah. Right. The Adams Family. Indeed. And uh, I don't have a Christmas tree up. We both live on it uh, by ourselves. Yeah. I live here in London, Carrie and Woodstock. That's all right. We could still decorate your window. Oh, you're going to? Well, I said we could. Oh, you could. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I should someday, but it's just being my own. I don't care well, that much. But um, You know what? Let's find out today on Outlook uh, on Radio Western. Let's find out what our guest is, does for Christmas. What do you say? Yeah, that sounds great. And a nice segue to introducing our guest today. We do have a an exciting guest coming up on Outlook this morning. So I'd like to welcome to the show Skindy, or <laughs> apologies there on the name, Cindy Scott Houseman. Thanks so much for joining us here today on Outlook. Thank you for the opportunity to share. Yeah, so we actually heard about you just recently through a guest we just had recently on Outlook, right, Brian? Yeah, I was going to say, so our guest today is from Arkansas, and it's not just coincidence that three weeks ago we also had somebody joining us from Arkansas, Kyle Kuiper, and it was a fascinating discussion about travel, being a, a travel agent, and uh, just really great conversation a few weeks ago with Kyle Kuiper out of Arkansas. And then uh, Kyle actually introduced us to today's guest, Cindy, and thought that uh, Cindy would make a great guest for the show. So we're really looking forward to today's conversation, specifically about art. And uh, as, as Cindy Scott Houseman is the owner of an art gallery in Arkansas called Cantrell Gallery. So uh, we're going to speak uh, a bunch about that today, Karen. I know art is a subject that... Uh, we haven't talked about too much on this program, but, you know, a lot of people might assume, oh, blind people, you know, it's not something you would talk about. But, you know, I, I've had some experiences, even though I was, um, you know, pretty much totally blind. I have a bit of light perception, but for the purposes of this show, I, you know, was pretty much totally blind. Whereas you growing up, Carrie, could see more and you were into visual art. Yeah, I didn't really, I wasn't old enough at that point to really love galleries, to go in a lot of galleries and see what I could see in there. Um, because it was just like 12 years old when I sort of couldn't see color so much anymore. And so, yeah, art, obviously that's a big word for such a big three letter word. Um, it, it means so many things. Um, but we will get to talking about the gallery here coming up in, in this hour. Um, but 
I also saw that Cindy, um, your condition is Lieber's hereditary optic, optic n- neuropathy, right? It is. It is a rare mitochondria disease, and we knew nothing about it before. Um, I think it was 1999 is the year that um, we first noticed our son was having some trouble seeing and it was a five or six month process to get his diagnosis and so we ended up learning a lot about this this uh i don't know if you call it a disease or whatever but um disorder it's um it's rare like i said and um can affect mitochondria throughout the entire body but generally Mm -hmm. most most people have just uh central vision loss is the the main component of it yeah well we talk on this show about Different, different conditions or like you say, disease. It's always hard to know what to call certain certain blindness diagnosis and stuff like that. Because <laughs> um, Carrie and I here both have Lieber's, but it's ours is Lieber's congenital amaurosis. So that's, you know, that's one I've heard of, whereas this Lieber's hereditary optic neuropathy I hadn't heard of before. And it's because there are just so many different causes for blindness. And people who don't know that much about blindness out there, you know, they don't always realize how much of a spectrum it is, how many different things cause blindness and so it is interesting on the show I think to to introduce our listeners to all of these different diagnoses and and how that how this works and yeah so absolutely L-H-O-N I reckon yeah I recognize the name um from certain bloggers but yeah I think you're our first guest Cindy with with that okay yeah it's named uh your condition and mine is named for the same doctor who uh you know, originally, yeah. yeah, but it's opposite. Your, I think yours has more to do with yeah. periphery and yes. mine has more to do with central and mine is optic nerve and yours is eyeball related. And that's about as much as I know about it. <laughs> well, like you said, how the mitochondrial throughout the body are affected, whereas with our blindness, it's part of a syndrome, which also can t- includes kidney failure. So, oh, okay. th- you know, these things are rare. Lieber's discovered some pretty rare stuff I guess and so it hasn't had enough study but um, there's connections there but not everyone like I know a lot of people with with Lieber's congenital amaurosis who um, it was just always the, the blindness so so you never know right right but you said your son you noticed stuff with your son before you yourself right yes in 1999 he was having trouble seeing and we him to several doctors before we got on the right track to get the correct diagnosis and in the process thinking he had a brain tumor and several other things that were eventually ruled out and um in the process uh, he was going to a montessori school at the time and we uh so we had the same first grade second grade third grade teacher so she was the one who really encouraged us to continue to try to get you know this figured out and um, so he did end up going for a year and a half to the Arkansas School for the Blind and got a lot of really good skills under his belt, like keyboarding. And it was just, it was a really uh, special time in our lives as far as trying to help him figure out how to handle this. And um, then we did mainstream into public school at that point. And um, there was a lot of advocating that took place to make sure that he was receiving all of the information in a format that he needed and um, I was just learning as I went trying to figure out you know how, how this system works and all of that so it was it was a it was a big part of his upbringing to pay attention to all of that type of thing 
Yeah, so you say in 1999 is when this kind of started to be noticeable. So so before that, I always kind of like to ask our guests, did you have any connection to, you know, it's blind people aren't that common out there, you know, as we've been getting more involved in the community, we've started to make more connections, but it's still obviously in the grand scheme of, of day-to-day life, not something that people don't know, know that much about. So at the time, you know, I'm sure it was a is could have been stressful and, and quite an adjustment, but but maybe like a little, if you could tell our listeners a little bit about your life before that, and then if you had any connections to blindness or knew of anyone before this came up who was blind, and then when it happened, sort of how the how the coping went for, for both you and, and your son at the time. Oh, yeah. Um, fortunately, I had uh, several interactions with blind people before this happened with our son. Um, growing up, there were blind vendors in public buildings, like in government buildings and that kind of thing. And um, I was always fascinated with that they, you know, they would run a coffee shop or whatever. And um, so that was that was my introduction to blindness at a young age. But then when I was in high school, there's a program here in our state that's for um, gifted and talented that is called governor school. And there were two students from the school for the blind that attended who attended that. And I got to know both of them during that. And then one of them ended up going to the same college that I did on that same campus where governor school had been. And, um, we were in choir together and, um, I don't think at that young age that I had the ability to understand, what it meant to be blind and the, you know, the social interactions and what they might need from me. Um, they were just both very well-adjusted outgoing folks that just, I never even stopped to think that there was any difficulties in their lives. Um, so then as far as, um, that, that path of my life, um, I didn't end up staying in touch with anybody who was blind most of my younger adult life. And so it was, you know, it, it was an adjustment to try to figure out how to wrap my head around. I was the only member of my family who had never worn eyeglasses or experienced blurry vision until after I was 51. So mm-hmm. I, um, it was, it was all new to me, but yeah, as far as my life prior, it, it was a lot to do with the arts because I grew up in an art gallery. My parents started the business in 1970 and I was three years old. And um, so that's all I've ever known really. And then when I went to college, I was planning on being a music major, but then I got really involved with theater arts and um, went more that direction. And my first job out of college was in a professional theater here in Arkansas. And that's where I met my husband. And um, 34 years later, this all our son just got a job in that same theater and so um you know full circle really exciting for him to have this new job and he's really enjoying it but um after the one year of working in professional theater i just thought in the meantime i'm gonna work for my parents and see you know see what i figure out to do at that point and i never looked back because i just um really really enjoy the day-to-day working in this business because there's something different that presents itself every day and it's just it's a lot of fun it's a it's it's pretty low stress uh enjoyable uh type of profession to have gotten myself uh totally involved in and you wouldn't expect there to be a person who's blind who owns an art gallery but um it's it's been really interesting to adapt and learn and it's it's I'm still in the process of figuring it all out so then is this gallery that you're running now, is it the one that your parents ran or is it a different one? 
Yes. Um, yes. They started in a. So, so that's the longest name. running art gallery in the area. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. 52 years old. And oh. we started out downtown with a different name. But when we moved to this area of town in 1976, we've been in the same location all these many years. And it's just, it's been really wonderful. And we have fantastic clients who are great to work with. That's so, so fantastic. And congratulations on that. Cause it's, I think it's like, it's hard for anything to, to, to stay afloat for, for so long and especially stuff in, related to the arts, which, you know, of course it's so important in this world, but sometimes I think different arts for me in particular music more so than art, uh, visual art, but these things aren't always looked at as a mo- big priority or they're sometimes not funded as, as well as they should be. So it really is amazing to see and great to see that it's, it's survived that many generations and still, you know, still running there in Arkansas. And that's, that's, uh, that's really great. And it's also great that you brought up the theater part there. Cause that's actually how Kyle sort of introduced you to me originally and said that, um, we had a sh- we had actually had a show a few weeks back that he had heard with Ruth Barrett, who does audio description for live theater here in Stratford, Ontario. And I guess he'd caught that uh, that episode, and then you know from there thought you know you'd be a great guest. And theater, another area that Carrie and I haven't talked about too much on this show. So it's interesting how that was sort of your interest back then, and then that transferred into to well, art. Well, yeah, there. we 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 talked to. Dr. Heather May earlier on in the year on Outlook who works in theater and I, t- I was also talking to someone else recently who's blind who does it because um, I've always been curious about it I haven't acted or but you know the idea of doing a play you know I might consider that so it's, yeah it's great um, it's to talk about art in general of course but like you say you grew up and you were raised in the, in the art gallery and you were, spent a lot of your you know younger years there that's where you met your husband yeah. in theater so yeah at this point on our team, it, my mother still uh, works full time and my husband. And so it's just the three of us who run the gallery and um, mm. we we enjoy working together. But um, the as far as theater, that's how I ended up uh, knowing some folks locally who are blind because I was doing just some advocacy on my own with um, audio description. <clears throat> I did a big project on... Um, in professional theater trying to get some uh, audio description started in our in our local theater Mm -hmm. but the post that I did on Facebook about our local TV broadcasting station I love the TV show This Is Us I knew it had audio description it wasn't coming through and I did a lot of investigating and finally helped the uh, local broadcaster figure out to flip the switch so it would come come be broadcast. And um, I posted about it on Facebook and somebody saw my post because in there I commented that I didn't know anybody locally who would benefit from this, but you know, hopefully people would uh, realize that they could now have audio description on that TV show. And then there were comments below of people you know, tagging people who are blind in, in this area and that's how I really started to meet some folks so it, it worked out really well to get on social media and talk about what I was working on <laughs> well yeah if you're if you're one to start you know doing some some advocacy on your own then usually that's eventually people notice you doing that and you start making connections through that and art for sure does does the same thing brings people together yeah yeah and that um I think you were mentioning a while ago something about uh, accessibility and art. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've had, I've had blind people approach me about helping them select an item for their home or their office and that type of thing, because I can, I can understand where a person wants to have 
art on their wall and they need possibly some help, you know, with understanding what to what to consider, what it might look like and that type of thing. And when I go to museums and they offer some type of a tour that is accessible that you can just listen to and it tells you about the pieces of art. Intellectually, there's a lot you can get out of uh, if you already know something about art or if you're just starting from ground one and you really don't understand. It's There's a lot to learn about art besides enjoying what it looks like. Oh, for sure. Um, it's re- sort of related to art. It's galleries and things. I don't know if you've been to the Guggenheim in New York uh, ever, but um, I just saw a really great, four, it's 40 minutes long, but it's um, they have an organization there through um, that ga- um, that museum that they, they created this 40 minute long audio guide of the whole design of the building. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a work of architectural art and stuff. So, but it was so beautifully read by the voices yeah. of a bunch of people who love it and who live there, including Maggie Gyllenhaal, who's an actress I really think is great. So oh, yeah. it was just beautiful to listen to the way they describe how you, the sound of, in that building and the way the light looks and hits things. It was just, it was beautiful. So there are so many ways to make art um, accessible and, you know, th- then you have to deal with the boring stuff like, you know, convincing theaters to make, have audio description and that, you know, they might not be, you know, in use every night, right? But it's, it's still important. Yeah, we, um, my aunt was in New York in November and told me about the Guggenheim thing that you're talking about. And I, I was just there last weekend and I didn't make it there. But in the past, when we've gone to New York, there's uh, museums like the Whitney had a special Jasper John's exhibit and it was just fantastic the way they had it set up where you could just listen on your phone to all the descriptions of not every single piece but enough you know they, they selected the highlights to um, put in that that was available to folks who can't see so I, I really appreciate things like that and um, the other thing about New York on the Broadway theater productions they're really good about having uh, excellent professional audio description set up that's easy to use and um, when I'm waiting for the show to begin there's show notes in the playbill that's being read but also descriptions about what the costume is going to look like all of the costuming all the set design everything is described um, before the show starts and um, I really enjoy that I think that's um, it's just amazing uh, how far some of these areas have, have come in such a short time yeah, it's great to see for sure. And I just think, I do think it's still one of those things that, you know, bigger areas, like you say, New York and, and stuff like that, whereas sometimes the smaller, more remote areas, I know, for example, for Carrie here, coming from, from Woodstock, Ontario, a small city, has had some some difficulties with, with the, the movie theater there getting, getting audio description available for movies. And sometimes in a smaller area where there just isn't the same demand for it and not as many people asking, it, it does sometimes get overlooked. But I think hopefully these things are gradually starting to change. And like you mentioned there in, in Arkansas with, with uh, This Is Us, the show, that not having the description just because it wasn't activated. It just essentially was there, but it wasn't turned on. And these things just, they do get overlooked. And that's that's why we talk about them more and more on this show. And we hope that more and more sighted listeners are hearing this stuff and just who, who haven't thought about it before and are like, oh, there is an option to to try this. And I think, Carrie, you brought up an interesting point recently on the show about even somebody who's sighted, say you're listening or you're watching your favorite show and you need to step away for a few minutes, maybe you would turn on audio descriptions so you could, you know, do another task and still keep track of kind of what's going on. So it's it's all about inclusivity and having everyone involved and uh, 
all of these are are prime examples of of this this happening out there in the community so my husband loves the audio description on the television because there's tv shows where i'm not even watching it with him and he'll turn it on and it describes things that are going on that he wouldn't even necessarily know the name of that object or you know things like that and so he he sees it as like almost like the looking at the script or something where there's the the all the director's notes and that kind of thing i don't know it's just it's i think it's fascinating and something like macy's thanksgiving day parade uh they did live audio description on that this year and i just i love it because i think it just it really adds to it yeah more and more places like that big events parades and and things are being described uh, awards ceremonies like now like they invite you know different games that go on the Olympics and all that. So, yeah, it's 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 everywhere and it is a beautiful thing. And I think yeah, you you would learn. Like I know my nieces and nephews had it on, just around them and it for since an early age. And I it may have even helped. Like I think it just it, it expands the mind in a different way when you're looking as someone who who sees a TV screen when you're watching television. It's some way of taking your mind off that a little bit. Um, you know to follow a story in other ways uh like brian said if you just want to step away like an audiobook you would or whatever that is yeah so i thought then we would transfer absolutely we would we kind of go back a little bit more to art from theater again and so i wanted to know kind of then losing losing some vision and, and this is always also kind of a strange question to ask somebody how much can they see i mean it's we we like to Tell, show our listeners that it is a spectrum and 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 you know I said already that I I my vision's always stayed the same it's very little I can just see light perception whereas Carrie used to have more and then and then lost quite a bit and still sees I think a little bit more than me but maybe at this point not much more than me so I was kind of curious obviously art's been around for you for pretty much forever I, I imagine the, the art gallery being in the family but what is what has art meant to you and then how did how has the adjustment been based on kind of how much can you still see and and how has that affected your 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 love and interest for art because i think you know for me never being able to to see i did have some tactile art throughout school in the in the earlier grades i had a couple teachers that were pretty great with it but then never really kept it up and it was definitely a little bit of a challenge not being able to see so i just wondered for you how that how that adjustment has been and if it's something that you do love how losing losing some some sight has made that uh, that transition for you and and in your connection to art. Oh yeah, my dad was an artist, and um, he died in 20, uh, 2010, uh, 2010, I think I'm saying the right year. Um, so uh, there was a there was also that insider connection with living with an artist and understanding, you know, how an artist thinks and all of that. And so, yeah, it's, it's a very meaningful thing to me to be involved with art. And I'm very thankful for all of the art that I've stored away in my memory, because at this point I uh, do not see color or um, details like um, central vision loss. What I have going on is pretty much nothing right where you look at somebody in the face and that type of thing. So it, what is there is pretty much like um, gray, black, white, static. It's very uh, speckled. And so um, there's not a lot that I can get out of viewing a piece of art that I've never seen before at this point. But um, 
I think in the beginning, I, I think there was a, a lot, uh, there was a lot of learning curve with what I still can or, or maybe cannot do here at the gallery. And I think initially I was uh, a little bit dumbfounded and, um, but I kept, I kept coming to work every day because I felt like that if I didn't keep on trying to find the things that I could get better at and practice and, and learn how to do, then um, I wasn't going to get anywhere. So I um, initially probably, I'm pretty sure I didn't feel like that I could do much of anything here, but the as time has gone on, there's more and more things that I'm finding that I'm still really good at. I have a, I have a fantastic uh, sense of uh, space, space and visualization of things that I can't see. So when it comes to arranging the galleries, um, space in our here in our gallery the each wall or area in the gallery has a particular local artist on it and we have a hanging system where there's a bracket up at the top of the wall and there's rods that come down from the bracket quite a ways and then there's little hangers that can be adjusted up and down on the rods and so I can take a look at a body of work from an artist when they deliver new pieces here that they want to show and um, just kind of look at the wall in front of me and look at the pieces and get them arranged on the wall. And I really, I still really enjoy um, doing things like that and all of the social media that we have going at the gallery and more, more and more things as time goes on. I'm the type of person, if I try to learn how to do too many things all at once, I don't feel like any of it's going to stick very well. So I'm kind of methodical and organized and just trying to take things one step at a time and prioritize what, what needs to be dealt with and keep on keeping on learning stuff. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And like you say, it's, you know, I'm sure it's helpful that it's in your family, right? It's, it's so it's not a stranger who's suddenly, you know, their employee or something can't see and they're in, working in an art gallery, right? Some people might hear that and right. think, you know, well, that's one of those times where you're like, I just have to retire from what I was doing. Um, but obviously there are other ways to be involved. And if you still have a passion for art uh, and if you still, as you do, I'm sure, you know, want to go out there and talk about your family's business that you're proud of all these years. So uh, I think it's it's great that um, that you're still finding ways to, to be involved because you hear all these things in these groups where people newly go blind and they're just like, yeah, I had to leave the job I was doing and that's it. And then they think, you know, well, that was what I love doing and that's what I worked so hard to do and now I can't do it, which is different than a lot of people who are born blind, right? Sometimes you've worked on in the theater on at a, in a gallery all your life and then you start losing your sight like you did, so. We had a speaker at our Central Arkansas chapter for the National Federation of the Blind. Uh, we had a meeting this past Saturday and the speaker is a woman uh, who works for Freedom Scientific Vespero and but she's from Arkansas and um, it was just a fascinating speech that she gave and she was so she's been blind since birth and she was talking about being a, a musician and in a band and wanting to uh, learn how to move about on the stage more freely right. and so she took ballet lessons and I just I mean everything that she talked about in uh, the presentation that she shared with us I was just I just love stuff like that because I mean I feel like that she had her eye on a goal and she just figured out how to make it happen yeah I mean it, it really is thinking outside the box sometimes and I think oftentimes there's opportunities out there 
And, you know, no matter what workplace it is in, but a lot of times when it's not exactly the, the set job that people have already set out for, for somebody who's currently working there or they want to hire when it's sort of in these certain specific outline of what the, what the job entails, it's sort of thinking out of the box and figuring out how can this person still fit in or help and, and find tasks that need to get done here and, and, and do it in a different way. And I think all of these examples are, are great and people just do need to think about that more and more, especially in this day and age, it seems like people are thinking more individually or starting to at least. And it's, it's nice to kind of get away from that collective sort of way of one way of doing things and, and thinking outside the box. So for anyone who's been listening today who, who has maybe just tuned in here on Outlook, we're speaking with Cindy Scott Houseman, owner of the Cantrell Gallery, art gallery out of Arkansas. And we're actually going to take a quick break now here on Outlook, but we'll be right back after this with more of our conversation with Cindy, Cindy Scott Houseman. Outlook. Radio Western. Welcome back to Outlook today on Radio Western on this Monday morning in December. And today we are speaking with Cindy Scott Houseman. Uh, she is owner of Kentrell Gallery in Arkansas. And you can find out more about them and what they're up to by going to Kentrell Gallery. So that's C A N T R E L L. Correct, Cindy? Yes. Yes. Gallery.com. Yeah, that's that's KentrellGallery.com. Go to the website and you can learn a lot more there, but it's been a great discussion so far and uh, another guest guest from Arkansas, as I mentioned earlier, though. I like to give our give our listeners, and especially people who are blind sometimes, I think we talk, we talk a lot about tactile maps on this show and getting an idea of what's where. And here in Canada, I'm starting to kind of get some geography from the, from the U.S., but still don't know a ton. So, so you're calling in from Little Rock, Arkansas. Is that, is that right? Yes, we are the capital of the state and located uh, very centrally within the, it's kind of a square shaped state and we're right in the middle Hmm. and our state uh, borders Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri, Tennessee, uh, Mississippi and Louisiana. Wow. wow, lots of states bordering <laughs> quite the list. Arkansas yeah. there, and I believe it was, I think Kyle Kuyper, the guest we'd mentioned, uh, we had on a few weeks ago, the travel agency, and who runs a travel agency, and uh, actually recommended you to be on the show. I believe he said he was from s- southwest Arkansas on the border near Oklahoma, I think I think he had said. He's, he is currently living there. I think he uh, grew up in Little Rock, though. Okay, yeah, I've definitely heard of Little Rock, so I... Not surprised that that's, yes. that's the capital, but um, but yeah, they really do yes. shove a lot of these states down in there all together, and, and to know how they all line up, uh, it's it's quite the yeah. <laughs> it's like a puzzle. And if you've never really gotten a lot of good looks at what the land is like, and it's really hard to understand where it might be. Yes, we have a we have dear friends who moved to Little Rock from London, Ontario, uh, oh, wow. and. Yeah, so I and they are they are just the kindest people, and he is the choir director at our church, and um, she gave private voice lessons to our son when he was growing up. So we they are very dear to us. Wow, it's a it's a small world sometimes when you when you start to make more connections, and that's what it's all about. That we talk about that all the time on Outlook. It's networking and making so many connections in this show. And Radio Western giving us the opportunity to host this show just really allows us to really make connections out in the world and network, and it's 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 fantastic. So, great conversation so far today with Cindy Scott Houseman, 
the owner of Cantrell Gallery and also the the president of the Central uh, Arkansas chapter of the National Federation of the Blind. So I thought maybe we'll we want to probably go back to art care because I think there's a lot of things we can still talk about with that. Yeah, but we can probably. I, th- I thought maybe yeah, well, you could talk a little bit about about the past five years when when you're losing your vision there and kind of how the adjustment was and then how you discovered the National Federation of the Blind and and specifically blindness skills is something we like to talk about on this show and it you know for me being born blind obviously I learned braille well not obviously I guess not everyone does but I learned it at a very young age um, so I actually read there was a Hadley article which is a great organization that we haven't talked too much about on this show but I've definitely heard about their their braille courses but there was an article on their website hadley.edu um about you and it's it talked about your your typing skills in particular and keyboard skills and how I you know from a young age I always learned the home row of the of the keyboard when I'm using a computer so I have my hands in the same spot and I'm able to access all the letters but I I think you were kind of the type that just sort of as they call it, sort of pecked around and picked each key randomly. So just kind of curious how these different skills the past few years and, and how that sort of changed with you le- losing the, the vision there and, and the, the help that you got through Hadley or the, the NFB or any of these organizations. Sure. Yeah, that first uh, LHON um, really happens fairly quickly from first noticing a tiny blurry spot in my eyesight November of 2017. I was legally blind the following February. So it all happened fairly quickly. And then what you can't see and what you need to figure out how to learn how to do, it all seems a little out of reach with the not being able to see. And so it was a big process. And um, thankfully there's a very strong community in the uh, Labor's Hereditary Optic Neuropathy uh, on Facebook and that type of thing. And so I got a lot of guidance for um, learning voiceover people pointed out that the Hadley had videos and so I you know just methodically took each thing one at a time to try to figure out and the keyboarding I don't know how I made it through school without uh learning how to type properly but I had yeah, lots I of kids it very seems. yeah I think that's more common yeah. than I, I ever used to think because again I learned it yeah we just know what we pretty know. young uh, using the home row and everything but I do think yeah. it, it's more common than than I, I thought actually out there yeah than, well, so. maybe it's I one of those skills yeah well it could be one of yeah. those skills like that you that you just don't necessarily pick up. It's like when I le- you know learned French in school. I learned it, but I just didn't. It didn't. Yeah, you can still get away without actually Certain having to people, use it. You just don't. Whereas when you when yeah. you're when you can't see, it's kind of pretty much essential. Like maybe you can get a bit of a sense of space and what's where. But uh, well, yeah. Like I got a bit of that once I got my iPhone and the keyboard there being touch screen, so yeah. tiny and and touch screen that uh, now I use what's called Braille screen input, which I find actually a lot easier. But using the keyboard definitely was a bit slower because I couldn't have my hand sitting right on the home row constantly in the same way. So, Right, because people on their mobile devices just get the two thumbs going and type like crazy. I don't know how they do it because <laughs> I never have been one to do that either. But um, yeah, it was a it was a pretty large learning curve. And I had only heard of the NFB around the time when our son was graduating from high school and we were looking into various scholarships that he might apply for, but I didn't Mm -hmm. know that much about the NFB at that point. I had not gotten involved with it. So through the process of meeting people locally, that seemed to be the core way that all of the folks that I was coming in contact with, uh, that's that's how they knew each other. That's how they organized. And so um, 
I went to one in-person meeting before the pandemic and then um, that was in late 2019 and um, I was interested in getting involved but it just somehow timing wise hadn't worked out for me to attend more of the in-person meetings and then by the time the pandemic hit uh, started coming to some of the meetings virtually and that following fall in 2020 uh, there was a change in leadership and I was voted in as the president and at the time I probably thought there's a lot of things that I don't know how to do that I will need to know how to do in order to be the president but getting beyond learning how to set up a zoom meeting and you know things like that and emailing out folks the agenda and all you know those were fantastic skills that I had to learn how to do in order to be in that position but I feel like I've brought a lot to the organization because uh, my entire adult life being involved in the type of business that we have a lot of things have come up through the years where my husband and I are on some type of a fundraising committee for a big organization and that type of thing and so I've really enjoyed that aspect of what I can bring to the NFB we did a a fundraiser this past uh, earlier this fall I mean um, and it was I, I thought of the name absentee because I wanted the whole thing to be the illusion of you've been invited to some fancy high tea that you don't actually have to attend so you don't have to purchase the outfit you don't have to um, get the transportation or whatever but here's how much the tickets would be if you were going to attend and um, it was it was fairly successful I think we raised over thirty six hundred dollars so um, and you know it's it, we have a fairly small number of people in Arkansas who belong to the NFB probably 50 something people are members and so for that size group to have organized and gotten the word out about our absentee and raised that amount of money I felt pretty good about it yeah, I think you make such a great point about being a ha, running your own business already. So that sort of brings those skills, but it also comes down to I think a lot of times in life when we when we do find a new opportunity or position or job or something, it does feel overwhelming. And a lot of times we say, "Oh, there's no way I could learn the skills to do this." Whereas a lot of times, of course, like some some preparation in advance helps, and and schooling and whatever it may be. But oftentimes it is sort of this attitude of say yes and figure it out as you go. And I think a lot of people sometimes assume, oh, this person must be extra knowledgeable in this area to be able to do this or that, when really a lot of it is just jumping in and just going for it and learning as you go. And I think that's something as everyone should 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 try and do at a time, but especially being blind, I think we're kind of used to problem solving and, and these types of things. So it is, it is very important, I think, to uh, put ourselves in these situations that we may be a little bit out of our comfort zones. And Yeah, you definitely took a leap. So, yes. so so soon, but uh, yeah, I was going to ask you now. Then, so I know the pandemic sliced through all of this in your last few years, getting to know everything. Um, have you been then to an in-person convention now since things have opened up? We had our first uh, in-person chapter meeting in November, and it was just absolutely oh. fantastic to be in the same room together. Our um, chapter voted to do um, to just kind of dip our toe into the in-person aspect and do just once a quarter in-person meetings but stick with zoom the rest of the time so our next mm-hmm. one will be in february but um we um the pandemic really i, I feel like was an added layer to uh, me becoming blind and having a couple of years to try to figure some things out and i got 
I got really comfortable with uh, taking a ride share, going to the grocery store, getting my groceries, going back home. You know, all of that was kind of becoming part of my somewhat regular routine. And then when the pandemic hit, it hit, it really, it caused me to have to step a few steps backwards in a way because some of the same things I was dealing with with sight loss, that a little bit of feeling of, um, I don't know if you'd call it isolation or whatever, but then with the pandemic, it seemed like that was more of the same. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but you know, so it, it was really another hurdle to, to figure out, to overcome. And I'm, I'm excited that things are starting to be more in person and our state convention for Arkansas this coming spring, the central Arkansas chapter is the host for that. And it's going to be in person. And so I'm really enjoying uh, planning that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. It makes me think of, you know, for me, I'm in my mid thirties now and it, I was kind of out of the blindness community and, and involved in any of that kind of stuff up until about five years ago. And then I did, we have, we have, there's a Canadian Federation of the Blind here in Canada, but it's much more small, quite a bit smaller. And it's, it's, it, we're so spread apart here in Canada. It's been kind of hard to, to really keep, keep up with it and keep it going. But I, I attended my first NFB convention there in the, in the States in, in Orlando. And that was, you know, the national convention where there were 3000 people there. And that was just, even for me in my thirties, it was, it was overwhelming, but it was also very fascinating and rewarding and, and kind of changed my whole perspective in a lot of ways. And so, you know, I know you haven't been to maybe anything in that scale yet, obviously with the Arkansas, I think you said around 50 members, but it's like anything, it's a, it's a start and that's, it builds from there. And it's, um, it's just interesting to, to get those perspectives. I was interested in attending the national convention in New Orleans uh, this past summer because uh, that is not very far from here. It takes about six hours if you're driving in a car. Hmm. And um, the way things conspired, it just did not work out for me to attend. And then about half of the folks who went there from Arkansas ended up ill um, with COVID after they had attended. And so in hindsight, I'm, I guess I'm glad that it didn't work out for me this time. But um, I, I, I do look forward to attending a national convention in the future as, as soon as possible. <laughs> Well, I see that that's the direction you're heading for sure. And yeah, I, COVID and, you know, things you were already going to go through with, you know, LHON, it's um, it's a lot. I can't imagine, you know, we were all changed by this pandemic and you kind of fooling yourself, I, I think, to, to believe it didn't change you at all. So I know you said a bit about that, but things like Zoom and ways of sort of stepping slowly into that that sort of thing, how was that for you sort of day to day managing that? Yeah. Like, did you um, find, cause I, I get the, I get the feeling that you're, you may be a pretty outgoing mm-hmm. person. So I think for me, I was quite introverted. So I found Brian liked to hide away. For me, I kind of like, like, obviously I didn't like the pandemic. It was a terrible situation yeah. around the world, but there was a certain part of me that really latched onto that. But I also do think as blind people, we can be quite isolated often. And, and maybe the pandemic accentuated that even more. So, so yeah, I'd be interested in your thoughts. I think I was more, uh, social and outgoing before my sight loss and so um the pandemic i think was a little bit of a like oh wow i get a little bit of a breather this is a break on having to feel like that you need to get out there and and be around people on top of not being able to recognize who you're talking to in a social setting and things like that so it 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 almost was like a pause button on some of the aspects of things that i was trying to deal with socially so um i'm 
I'm glad that things are getting a little bit more back to normal, but it really, I mean, my husband is more introverted and he says this all the time at this point, you hear that there's an opportunity to do something and you kind of think twice about it now. It's like, mm, do I feel like getting out and doing that or would I rather not? And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been an, an interesting adjustment and I do, I do want to get more comfortable in social settings. We host, uh, after our events in our gallery space and, um, sure. it can be a little bit awkward with for being in this business as long as I have and knowing as many of the people in the community as I know and people not having in mind that they need to fill me in on who I'm talking to, it, you know, you can end up halfway through a conversation without <laughs> knowing who you're talking to. And at some point it's kind of like, at this point you hate to ask, but um, so I'm, I need to get, I need to get better at some of those skills as well. Yeah. It's interesting you bring that up. Cause that's something, you know, I think, I think, we all still maybe work on it in some way. I mean, generally people that I'm, I, I know well that I'm close to, I've, I know what they sound like, but occasionally when it is somebody out in public that I haven't seen in a long time, if they come up and they just say, Hey, how's it going? And they don't say what their name is. And then like you say, if you get a conversation going, eventually it's like, Oh, it's three minutes into this conversation. I still don't really know who this is. And then it starts to feel kind of awkward to even ask at that point. But, uh, right. Yeah. yeah moment of no, share, of no return. Right. I share stories like, that and all kinds of things that I have going on on TikTok and in Facebook and all of these areas and um, oh and you mentioned our website for the gallery and I know this is uh, jumping around but I just was going to also point out that we have a YouTube channel and each time we have a new exhibit there's a narrated tour of our um, exhibit that we have up on YouTube and then we also have Instagram and Facebook and all of that for the gallery as well. So I'm, I'm all about all of the different platforms and methods for getting information out there. Well, you're on TikTok too. Something it's, we got to do someday uh, it's, for this show. Yeah. It's really, um, it, it, it's strange because there, when I first got on TikTok, I didn't think it was accessible at all. And then there mm -hmm. were a lot of improvements made oh, and I there? thought, okay, I could, I can do this. And then I learned how to use it during that time frame. And then it's had some glitches more recently where voiceover doesn't read the comments and things like that. And so um, it's it's hit or miss on what it's going to do as far as uh, being able, you know, accessible to, to be able to create a video or, or see your comments and that kind of thing. So um, I struggle with it, but it's it's so nice to just get on there and, and tell a funny story that's happened, you know, that's a, a blind related thing or whatever. And there's a ton of blind people on TikTok. So it's a it's a really good resource for support and community. Yeah, I mean, this, these are all things that we, we have these days that I think are really changing society and are helping, you know, obviously everything has positives and negatives, but I think a huge positive is that back in the day when you were blind, things were so isolated, but now we have these forums available to us to be able to really speak up and, and share our experiences with others who are, who care to listen. And, and, uh, I just think that all is great. So I think everyone should go to cantrellgallery.com. That's C-A-N-T-R-E-L-L -L gallery.com. You can find links to the, to the Facebook and YouTube and TikTok, I, I believe, and everything from, from the website. Yeah, definitely check out your YouTube. Uh, I'm going to do that for sure. And then how did the, since we were briefly talking there about the pandemic, I was just kind of curious, how did that affect affect the, the gallery and the day-to-day -day activities or running the gallery throughout that time? Obviously, I know you do have the website, which which maybe helped with, with um, keeping the business going, but how did that how did that sort of work during the pandemic and and people not going out as much and maybe checking out the gallery? Yeah, we 
we have always um, advised people that uh, seeing art in person is better than online. Right. Obviously, you can just, you know, you can tell what a painting looks like in person better. And so we, we never have set up our website to be e-commerce. It's just there kind of as a reference or advertising or whatever. So uh, we did actually lock our front door for about three months at the beginning of the pandemic because we were so concerned about having uh, more than one client in here at a time. And we did a lot of thorough cleaning in between because at that point we just didn't know how the virus was spread. Right. So um, I kind of went into overdrive with lots of um, thinking outside the, blo- the box um, ideas for how to generate uh, money during that time period. And I did several campaigns where uh, purchase a a gift certificate for a certain amount of money and get this gift certificate for this amount of money for free. And um, each time I did one of those campaigns, we sold quite a few of those. And for people to think ahead that they needed to have framing done or that they needed to purchase some art. And as the as more and more people were working from their homes, uh, it was just amazing to realize that uh, here they were stuck at home looking around at their walls or cleaning out um a closet where they possibly had stored something that never had been framed. We also, pardon me, we also offer custom picture framing. And so uh, our business actually did very well. There was a a couple of months there where we were quite concerned about how how we were going to keep things going. But through the, you know, selling gift certificates and that type of thing, we, we figured out to keep it going. And it was, it was really interesting to try to figure out the, the, pivot you have to make to you know keep on figuring out ways to keep it going and all that but it's we did that's when we started our youtube channel as well because it felt Mm -hmm. like that people really had that desire to see what we had going on inside the gallery even if they weren't comfortable coming in person yes and that's what social media was able to provide throughout that whole time and like you say art's such a experience to be in person standing with the art um, but everything moved online. So many art exhibits and um, had that online sort of thing. And now they've gone a little bit backwards to it because I, I like you said, there are some times when you're like, oh, is it even worth having this thing today? You know, so having all those people in your gallery when you have events now, um, you already mentioned that it, it's a little difficult when you've lost some of your sight. And I know what that's like, but um, how have you guys have been building back since? I would say that we still aren't back up to full capacity compared to the size crowd that we would generate at an after hours event pre pandemic. Mm. But um, we have a a good number of people and it actually uh, often seems like that there's more conversation with the artist who's there, you know, whose art we're featuring um, in a smaller number of people setting. It really is more conducive to more uh, I don't know, meaningful conversations and that kind of thing. And so, and it, and it's easier for me to manage because I can kind of get in mind, oh, okay, I know, I know who's here, but when it gets to be a bigger crowd, you know, you have no idea. So I, I've actually really enjoyed our more intimate gatherings uh, at some point early in the pandemic. And we were trying to manage just having very, very few people in the gallery at a time. We did an exhibit of my, Uh, dad's artwork and um, we got people to sign up for this X number of people. I think we limited it at 
for people. And so it's their little group from their bubble. And we, you know, said we're, this is what's included. And, you know, and so we, we promoted it in such a way where people felt like it was a, a special thing that they were getting to do. And it was by appointment only and that type of thing. So um, just always looking for the creative way to get folks to walk through the door. <laughs> Yeah, I love all of that. It's, it's examples like we've been talking about throughout the entire hour today about thinking outside the box. And, and it sounds like you definitely were very, very good at doing that in, in the situation of the pandemic and, and not just feeling discouraged and, oh, I can't do things the way we used to do. And I think the point's about people not, you know, thinking twice sometimes about going out or what they're going to do instead of in the past, maybe it's like, oh, I have to do as much as I, as, as I can. And no matter what, I have to go and say yes to everything. And, and sometimes you do get more quality in, in a smaller group. And especially like you say, losing, losing some sight like that, it makes it a little bit more comfortable because you're not in this huge group of people um, that you're trying to navigate through. And uh, so all of those examples are, are really great to, to hear on, on the program today. And we're speaking with Cindy Scott Hausman, owner of Cantrell Gallery. You can go to cantrellgallery.com, C-A-N-T-R-E-L-L gallery.com. We have just under five minutes left here, so this, this hour has really been been flying by, but it's it's been a great conversation so far, and I don't know when or when I'll ever make it to Arkansas, but uh, you know, I'd love to check out the gallery someday, and I don't know if there's any events coming up there. Um, that you want to mention or anything specific el- about the gallery that we that we haven't covered here but well yeah I mean we get you know the audience for who might be listening to this show between now and the next few weeks it's hard to say so you never know who's listening that something might be interesting exactly yeah you never know who's out there listening from wherever in the world we've wrapped up events for the year it gets real busy this time of year and so we we had our final featured exhibits opening um a few weeks ago and we're busy planning the upcoming shows for the next calendar year working with I'm working with a artist who's never had a featured exhibit before and she'll be having her show in January and so I'm getting all of the uh, information that I need from her in order to publicize her event and um, just noticed that a magazine that's here local did a full page uh image and information about our current exhibit and that's you know thanks to me getting all of that information out to our media resources so it's it like i mentioned early in the hour it's something different every day that you look forward to coming into work and and seeing what's going to happen today yeah i guess you need all these extra weeks that you don't have to plan for upcoming things in the new year and that's a lot i'm sure to manage yes well, thanks again for I, coming on today because I I do, I want to talk about art. It's kind of a bittersweet thing for me to talk about, really, because it's, th- there's things that I love about it, but yet, and I love how you say it, <laughs> during the pandemic, Rudy was just at home staring at their walls. Everybody's like, huh, I could use a new framed picture right there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I have a bunch yes. of frames. Our, our brother's actually a photographer. So I have a few pictures on my wall just so that my place doesn't look bare when yeah, somebody comes in. But I honestly, I always forget what they even are. And <laughs> that just goes to show how detached I sort of am from, from the visual world in some sense. But I also do like to have stuff on my walls. And, you know, as a kid, I did have posters of my favorite bands in my room, even though I couldn't see them because I still had friend, a lot of friends who came over who were sighted. And I didn't want to look like, yeah, I just had a bunch of bare walls there. But uh. Absolutely. Yeah. And I did mention that our son is now working in theater and we went to mm-hmm. see their current production of Guys and Dolls and he's the house manager and he was running the bar 
uh, that evening. And um, so we're just, we're so happy for him to be working in a position that's so creative and he's really enjoying it as well. Yeah, wow. That To think, yeah, this connection that you do have with your son, what you've both been through and how you've both just done so well, obviously. Adaptation was what we're trying to always talk about on Outlook. And it sounds like you and your son are pretty good examples of that. Um, still doing what you love. and Early on, his advice for me early on, I was frustrated about something one day and he said, Mom, don't let this thing take your joy. And um, I really appreciated that. Yeah, no, you're reading my mind. I was going to ask you to end the show is like, what, what has your son been able to teach you you know, now that you're going through it or what wisdom does he offer? And um, so I'm sure you help each other out in those ways. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When he was little and there was a situation where he needed to throw some trash away and the can was all the way across the room and we said, you know, it's over there. By the time you get there, I think you'll be able to find it. And so here he goes across the room, not knowing, you know, where he's headed and, you know, things like that. But, you know, it, it is a lot of encouragement back and forth between both of us. Yeah. And that's why support in, in family and in your community is really important, whether it's with an organization like National Federation of the Blind or it's with your family who seem close and, you know, are, have been running this gallery for a long time there in uh, Arkansas. Um but yeah, so thanks for anticipating my sort of wrap-up question. I like that when, <laughs> when the conversation just maybe even seems to... Yeah, it's always always interesting to end the show to figure out kind of a good way to wrap it up. And I do think that connection with you and your son is, is, is so cool to hear about because Carrie and I also have that connection in, in a similar way or a different way, but also still in the family where we're, we're brother and sister who are blind, whereas a lot of people don't have that in, directly in the family. So I do think it's yeah. it's nice to kind of round that out with, with the family connections here at, around Christmas time coming up and... Uh, yeah, it's been it's been so great to have you on today, Cindy. And people should definitely go to cantrellgallery.com. dot com. I don't know if there's anything else you want to mention on air, but I think going to the website Cantrell Gallery, they'll find everything there, and we'll definitely post it in the podcast notes as well. Oh, I appreciate it, and we've updated our website somewhat recently, and um, so I appreciate you guiding people to that resource. Great, thanks. We'd great. love to have you on again, Cindy, and talk more art. Thanks. Okay, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Have a good week. Send us an email. Outlook on Radio Western at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at Outlook CFB. And on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western. <laughs>